Hi, it's Blaine here. Before we play today's podcast, I did want to make a couple of quick notes. One is that this was recorded when we still thought the pilot season was going to be five days a week instead of seven, so you will references to five days a week here. The other note is that we did this by using Skype to phone a cell phone. There were some issues with the audio that we thought we had sorted out before we started recording and doing the podcast. As it turns out, the adjustments I made only affected the playback volume on my end and not the recording volume. So I've done what I can to amplify Adam's voice. There was about a 28 decibel average difference between the two of us in the original recording. So you will hear some static and noise because of that amplification. I've got it cleaned up. You could still hear what he's saying, but it may just be difficult, particularly near the end, to make everything out if you've got background noise as well. But there's a lot of good things that he had to say, so I wanted to make sure that we could share that with you. Anyway, that's it. And now on with the regularly scheduled podcast. Welcome to Bureau 42's comic book podcast pilot season day five. So on this fifth day, we're starting a different type of podcast. The others have all been single-voice podcasts, just myself, the regular host, Blaine Dowler. This type of podcast is a little bit different. This is something that's actually been named by our first guest. We're calling it The Daredevil's Advocate. Each week, or at least each episode, I'll be having a guest on. We'll debate who is the greatest comic book character. I'll be always picking Daredevil. The guests will be picking different people each time. Now, I'm really looking forward to today's guest. When I first got into listening to podcasts on a regular basis, it was largely because of the work of two people. One of them was John Suntress with his Word Balloon and later Aya oh yeah podcasts. The other one was Adam Graham, who does a number of great podcasts himself, and he's our first guest. So, Adam, I'll let you introduce yourself and your podcasts. Uh, sure. Um, well, I'm a host of uh, several podcasts. I should also mention, uh, relevant to today, I'm also the author of three uh, superhero uh, comedy novels, Tales of the Dim Night, Fly Another Day, and Powerhouse uh, Hard Pressed. And those are all available in paperback or on the Kindle. Um, I host... Uh, First of all, the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio podcast, and that's six days a week of detective uh, programs, Monday through Saturday, following each uh, Old Time Radio Detective series from start to finish, and you can listen to that at uh, greatdetectives.net. In addition, starting next Monday, I'll be presenting The War, a series honoring uh, World War II, uh, following the war through radio with music, drama, comedy, news, uh, and more from the pre-war era uh, to the achievement of victory in the war. Uh, The podcast will be located at thewar.greatdetectives.net. And finally, and uh, most relevant, I'm the host of the old-time radio Superman show. Uh, where we follow the uh, adventures of Superman pretty much the same way we do with the detective show, but just with uh, Superman as our prime uh, character. Um, And if you're wondering, I will not be debating in favor of Superman today. Uh, Main reason for that is that uh, DC Comics has spent a lot of time uh, trying to make us think the guy who's not as good as Batman. So... Uh, rather than deal with that, uh, we'll be dealing with Captain America. Okay, and I should mention to our listeners, when Adam says next Monday is when the war starts, that's next Monday as of the time of recording. So by the time this is released, that podcast will already be up and running. That started November 11th, 2013. Correct. Okay. What was it that made you go with Captain America? What's the first big thing on your mind? I think, uh, uh, courage. And... It's an amazing uh, legacy, because you can take a look at 
Captain America, and he doesn't have a ton of powers, but he ends up in the midst of all of these galactic a world-saving uh, situation in a, in a world where there are other characters around, such as Thor and Iron Man. Uh, it's the courage, it's the integrity, it's just the overall uh, strength of the character uh, and just the type of spirit he represents. Mm-hmm. I can definitely see that. In fact, one of my favorite Captain America stories is actually him guest-starring in a Daredevil story. And Daredevil Born Again, one of my Favorite lines was the way Frank Miller introduced Captain America in that story. It's, a man speaks with a voice that could command a god, and that's exactly what it does. And just as a panel shift, you realize Cap is giving Thor orders, and Thor is just following them. Yeah, and that that's really what's remarkable about the, the character, because, you know, it, it, it's something... You know, when you're in that sort of situation, and there are so many people, other than the enhancements of the super uh, soldier formula, he's just kind of an ordinary guy. I might ask, how did you get into Daredevil? Uh, for me, it actually started with an appreciation for the movies of Kevin Smith. I found out he wrote a Daredevil arc. I picked it up. It was the start of a new series, and kept reading after that. And... I really enjoyed the way it works and that complexity of the character. And some of it is that same noble spirit that Captain America has. There actually are a few similarities with them. They're both characters whose powers put them only slightly ahead of the rest of the population. They are, for the most part, peak human, or maybe just a bit above. And the other thing I do like about both characters is that they both got their powers because they were already heroic people, right? Captain America was trying to get into the war to fight the good fight and protect the innocent, and that's how he got in, was through the Super Soldier Project. Whereas Daredevil got his powers when he saw an elderly deaf gentleman crossing the street about to get hit by a truck carrying radioactive materials, because this was Stanley in the 60s, so everything was radioactive. And he just ran out to save the man, the chemicals dumped on him, and that's how he gained his powers. Yeah, I, I think that that is, that is a parallel. That they both be with uh, selflessness. Uh, in, you know, in Matt's case, it was uh, Matt Murdock, who, who's Daredevil's secret identity. It, it really was. It was more. It was more just pure instinct. Not a whole lot of time to think about it. With Captain America, I think the contrast was his was more a deliberated uh, choice, where you know, time and weighing the risk and deciding this is absolutely what I want to do. That is true, although I do like the fact that Daredevil, or Matt Murdock, was just acting on instinct and stumbled into this. I also like him as a character because he's allowed to make more mistakes than a lot of the A-list characters. He never seems to sell as well or get as prominent in the universe as your Captain Americas, your Spider-Mans, your Supermans, your Batmans. And that seems to give the writers a little more freedom to play with them. He can make some serious errors and then have to deal with it, which leads to some pretty interesting stories. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's true. I mean, that uh, is, the two, is the two-edged sword with uh, Daredevil. Uh, a lot can and has happened to him. And there was a period, I think, where writers were just trying to find ways to write in new levels of uh, misery for life of uh, Matt Murdock. And I, I think that the big, uh, the big challenge is that oftentimes, when it comes to the big battles, he's just, he's just not there. Uh, you think back to something like 
Secret Wars, uh, when he was not included as one, uh, which was the first big Marvel uh, event comic. It was actually a good one, which distinguishes it from most other big event comics. Uh, Captain America was chosen as the leader of the good guys in that uh, fight, but they did not even uh, elect to bring Daredevil into the battle on the battle world. So he misses out on some things. That's true. I think the first crossover I believe he was involved in was Inferno. And even that was a bit on the sidelines. I mean, Secret Wars, it actually wasn't Marvel Editorial who chose any of the characters to involve in that. It was a toy tie-in, and the toy company decided who they wanted to sell. But again, that meant Daredevil wasn't up to their caliber, whereas Captain America and the others were. Even when it came to Inferno, or both Inferno and Acts of Vengeance, he was involved in those, but it was on a periphery level. With Inferno, the major events were happening in the X-Men books, and he was just running crowd control with all the panics and the riots that were going around it, dealing with Typhoid Mary, which was an interesting story, and part of the reason it tied in so well is because the X-Books were being edited by Anne Nocenti, who was writing Daredevil at the time, so it could weave in pretty comfortably. Acts of Vengeance was the same involvement as everybody else. He fought somebody else's villain. And aside from that, apart from Shadowland, which was a very Daredevil-centric event, the only time I can recall him being really involved was in Infinity War. And even that was a short involvement, although it was very significant. The uh, doppelganger of Reed Richards, created by the Magus, was ready to detonate a nuclear weapon and destroy all the heroes when they were gathered together. And it was Daredevil with his power set who realized that wasn't the real Reed Richards and sort of put in the call to action and hit him with the billy club. Not that the billy club did much, but it was enough to give the heroes enough warning that Invisible Woman could step in and create a force field to protect them from the detonation. So yeah, his active involvement was, I think, maybe four or five panels, but it did make a difference in the outcome of that event. Yeah, uh, I I think part of the the challenge, and it actually, I just recently read the first uh, story where he was offered a chance to be uh, in the Avengers uh, back in Volume 1, number 111, and he uh, basically declined it, uh, thinking that with constantly having people uh, around him uh, fighting with him, so many people would uh, cause some problem with his radar sense. That was the initial reason for him choosing not to join the Avengers, which um, I don't I don't know whether the best reason or not. But I think that that's the that that's the that's the challenge the challenge with the character, and I, I think that his big appeal is is kind of as in every man, and I, 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 the idea that you have a guy who everybody thinks he's blind. Well, he's blind, but they think you know that equals helpless somehow. And kind of how he, you know, it's totally the opposite of what people think. I, I think that the other, uh, I think, big thing with Captain America in, in the world is he is, he's somebody who's really a mentor figure to uh, everyone. Because it's one thing to have, like, the big dog say, okay, this guy's really tough, uh, and this guy's courageous, and, you know, He's the one we're listening to, but people come to him just for regular advice. Carol Danvers and Captain Marvel uh, is a is a good example. When she made the decision to assume that that mantle, it was after talking with Cap that uh, made that decision. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I think that that's something, if there's one big uh, uh, advantage that even Marvel has over DC, uh, it's that you have somebody there who's a mentor figure who hasn't been rebooted a thousand times. And that really does help. It does. That's, Marvel does shy away from reboots. They will do relaunches and do, do interactions like Masters Marvel Now and this up-and-coming Marvel Now. But it's still to the case where, and if you go at uh, a character in the New 52 and say, hey, remember this story you were in that was published in you know 1943? That character would probably say no, unless Grant Morrison's writing them. But in the Marvel Universe, yeah, Tony Stark remembers everything that happened and tells the suspense late 30s into the 40s, probably remembers everything but some of the Demon in the Bottle chunks, but they do manage to keep it going without rewriting the history, you know, with one exception in Spider-Man, but that's a can of worms I don't really want to open here. Yeah, let's, let's, let's stay away from that one. They both have a lot going for them, but there are some big differences between them. I mean, even though Cap acts as a mentor and he's a leadership position, I find that sometimes that means when writers are writing him, they don't always have a clear picture of what to do with him alone. It seems that at least some of the creators that have been on him have a pretty good idea of Captain America, leader of the Avengers, and what he is. And then when they get the solo book, they don't necessarily understand Steve Rogers and know how to write Cap when he's not being a leader. I think that that's the big challenge. Over time, I think Cap has had some good writers who did understand the character. Uh, Mark Wade, perhaps, best best example of that. But uh, the big challenge with uh, Captain America is he has a different ethic than a lot of the writers, and that can lead to them not understanding or uh, ridiculing them, kind of like happened in many ways in the uh, Ultimates world. So, and that might be an advantage of Daredevil in that his character uh, tends to be more uh, established and under- understood. Though there, though I think it's Mark Wade so there's a couple different ways uh, to approach the more civil Silver Age approach, and then of course the grittier approach, which uh, which came in with Frank Miller Yeah, definitely. From the Frank Miller run, probably right up to the end of Shadowland, Daredevil was one of, if not the darkest tone titles that Marvel was publishing. Mark Waid has even said one of his goals in writing Daredevil was to keep Daredevil as great as it has been for years, but also make it so that you don't feel like you need a, a stiff drink when you're done reading the issue. Yeah, and I, I am I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Waid's of Wade's run on the, the character, and I, I think that there's that there are a lot of things to do, and he he has had some amazing uh, stories, uh, particularly even you know facing off with uh, Doctor Doom uh, every now and again. Mm-hmm. Uh- that's one of the other things I like about Daredevil. He's never really had a bad run. It's weird to say it, but it's almost like the weakest writing he's had in terms of the overall run might go all the way back to Stan Lee, which is almost sacrilege when you're talking about a Marvel comic, but you look at what followed after that. You get the era with Daredevil and Black Widow together in San Francisco. From there, you lead into Frank Miller, and then from Miller into Nocenti, and then Nocenti into D.G. Chichester, who opened huge with the fall of the kingpin. By the end of the run, he was taking risks, and I will respect him for taking those risks. The end of the run wasn't that great, so I'd say the run as a whole came out kind of mediocre just because it started off strong and then fell off, and then you follow that up. You know, you've got Kevin Smith, and then David Mack, and then Brian Bendis. There was the one story arc with Bob Gale that one of the issues with that one is, unlike Mark Wade, 
he was trying to bring it back to the Silver Age swashbuckler without connecting the dots between the story arc that came immediately before and the one immediately after. That one felt out of place. I've been reading through the uh, Daredevil Essentials recently, and it's opinion he has had some runs that were a little weak. Um, probably the one I would say the, the weakest uh, I've encountered is the uh, Jerry Conway uh, run from the 70s. Um, a lot of uh, overriding, and uh, th- there were some issues with it. I, I, I think, as, as well as the way he handled the end of the Karen Page uh, saga, um, where, where the writers just kept dragging that off for months. You know, they had like a two-year breakup, uh, which is just absurd, uh, where they'd be like, oh, no, we're, we're apart. And, you know, it literally went on for two years, which, you know, haven't happened over a couple, three months. But uh, I think Stu Gerber actually did better on that run. Uh, all that. Uh, and uh, I think Andy Diggle's run is pro- uh, and even the whole way that Shadowlands played out is, is probably worth uh, criticism as well. But of course, Captain America has had some has had some problematic runs as well. Certainly, the period before Mark Wade came on, and then the uh, bizarre drawing of him during the whole Heroes Reborn story, which I guess was was a saga that the Daredevil got to sit out. Um, uh, back in the 1990s. That he did, and I'm thankful for that. So I think that I'm not even sure if he was published. There was a brief period where the title was just canceled on hiatus before Kevin Smith took over. And that was because Joe Quesada came to Marvel with Marvel Knights and sort of managed to woo them and do his own thing. So Daredevil was part of the Marvel Knights anthology for a period. And then Quesada managed to bring Kevin Smith in to write the story arc that became Guardian Devil, which proved that... Yeah, not only were Hollywood people ready and willing to write for comics, and that's where that really started was with Kevin Smith stepping in on Daredevil, but it also proved that being able to write movies doesn't mean you're going to be able to hit deadlines when you're doing comics. Yeah, it's an entirely different uh, beast. And and somewhat of an interesting twist because uh, some people had gone uh, the other way from comics and movies and television, such as uh, Ben uh, Edlin, who... uh, was the uh, creator of the pick went the other went the other way on that. So I, I think that another thing that I guess both of them do have in common, both uh, Daredevil and Captain America, both had pretty bad movies made. Well, I think the first Captain America movie from 1990 was worse than the Daredevil one. So yeah, well, the most recent Captain America movie was done very well. Yeah, that was their fifth kick at the can. <laughs> That's yeah. one thing I will give Captain America is he got to the movies a lot sooner and a lot more often. Oh, yeah, there were there were several. The 1990s one, I have fond memories of, of that one from uh, childhood, but sometimes memories aren't, I guess, all that accurate. Yeah, that one, it was direct-to-video with the rubber ears on the outside of the cowl. It's, it's challenging to watch these days. Yeah. Not as challenging as the 1970s made-for-TV Captain Americas or the 1944 Captain America serial, which I swear was written as a sequel to The Green Hornet, only the studio that bought the script didn't have the rights to The Green Hornet, so they just swapped out the character. Yeah, it didn't have anything to do with Captain America uh, at all. I, I think that it will be interesting to see, with Marvel talking about doing a Daredevil reboot, um, how they're able to convey that and if the way a uh, story is going to influence that at all. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see and also interesting to see how the Wade one plays out. They 
announced quite recently that the last print issue of Wade's Daredevil run is number 36 in February, and then it's going to be followed up with a 13-week weekly digital comic in the Infinite format, which should be interesting to see. It'll be, I believe, the third Infinite comic that's coming out weekly after the Wolverine and Iron Man ones. Yeah, and those, those are uh, interesting just because they're all, uh, if you've not read them before, I've been reading the Batman 66, which about half their issue go that way. And it, it's like watching a, a mini uh, a, a mini uh, movie as opposed to just the, the typical the, the, the typical uh, electronic comic you read. And uh, I, I think it, it'll be an interesting format uh, for him. So I, I, I would be uh, looking forward to that. As am I. He did great work. He did Marvel's first Infinite comic with the Avengers uh, AVX tie-in that brought the new Nova into the forefront. He's done a lot of that with Thrillbent, and he knows the medium. And it'll, I'm very interested to see how Daredevil Road Warrior plays out. And that's that's another good sign. It's one of the other nice things about Daredevil is, because he's not really A-list, is they can use him to take risks like that. If you go back through history, he was one of the first Marvel characters that had his secret identity revealed and had a major downside to it, aside from Tony Stark, but then he just teamed up with Captain America to hijack a government satellite and wipe out everyone's memories. Well, actually, Captain America was the first one to reveal his identity, but, but it was somewhat... Uh, inexplicable. He revealed it because he was retiring and his old enemies came after him so he couldn't end up uh, retiring. So that was one of those Silver Age things. You just go, okay, why did he do that? Um, yeah. And they, the FF were never really revealed it because they were never really secret. Oh yeah. They, they did actually, I know we're off this topic, but they did actually, they had a separate feature with the Human Torch where the Human Torch lived in the suburbs and had a secret identity. And fans started saying, okay, what's going on here? Because there's no secret identity in the Fantastic Four books. And so they fixed it by saying that basically all of his neighbors were just humoring him, that they thought he wasn't the Human Torch because they were just trying to be nice about it. Yeah, I think that was established in Strange Tales 106. His run of his solo series lasted from Strange Tales 101 to 134, with an annual in there as well. Yeah, one featuring Spider-Man, and then replaced by uh, Nick Fury. Wow, we've gotten way off topic. Yeah, but that tends to happen. Yeah. So one of the other things I like about Daredevil is his supporting cast. And he has had a fairly small but fairly consistent supporting cast throughout. Foggy Nelson has been there from the start and will most likely be there till the end. That's one of the few really solid male relationships. It's sort of a Holmes and Watson thing where Foggy's the Watson who's got no superpowers, no special abilities. He's just Matt's college buddy and they are best friends and that's not going to change even though they might periodically get on each other's nerves for a short period of time. Then Daredevil's other supporting cast, none of them are quite as prominent or as strong as Foggy. There's usually a female love interest of some kind. It's not always the same one. We already mentioned Karen Page and that rather lengthy breakup. There's been Elektra, of course. There's been Heather, and I'm blanking on her last name right now. I don't know why. There's Mila Donovan, Kirsten McDuffie, who, of course, was named after the late, great Dwayne McDuffie. So he's had a supporting cast of some type all the way through. Yeah, and I, I, I will say that that is, that is an advantage over Captain America, who 
had some problems with uh, partners dying, uh, disappearing, though he uh, he had probably the first major African-American superhero as his uh, partner in the Falcon. And, uh, yeah, they, in terms they, of ongoing characters, yeah. Yeah, and they, they ran together, you know, through the 70s. But a lot of change, of course, Bucky was the original partner during the Golden Age. So I, I think that a lot of the supporting cast gets shaken up constantly. I, I think that is an area where Daredevil does have advantage. And, uh, I, I, I do I do appreciate particularly in the in the recent uh, story with Foggy with uh, cancer how that Ray you know really brought out that relationship and uh, yeah, very warm a lot different than it was actually at the start of the Silver Age where Foggy was just a, a person to be in the love triangle uh, with Karen Page at first. Yeah. Or love rectangle when the Michael Murdoch showed up, sort of. Oh, yeah, Michael Murdoch. That, yeah, yeah. Some uh, some some key points there. I think supporting cast. Yeah, I'll, I'll give that point to uh, Daredevil um, for having Foggy there consistently. And uh, so I, I I think Kristen Duffy made made a smart choice in you know getting out while she could. You know, just because horrible luck for the women who are in his life, um, which I guess is part of the, you know, part of the ongoing tragedy of the character. It is. There's no sure way to have your life fall apart in the Marvel Universe that works better than dating Daredevil. If you look at how things turned out for Karen Page, if you look at how things turned out for Elektra, for Mila Donovan, it never seems to work out well if you've been dating Daredevil. Now, some of that is because of his villains, particularly Bullseye has had a huge role in that. And that is one thing I've got to, to give to Captain America in terms of support. Cap in the Red Skull had some great villains right from the start. And you go back to the Silver Age when they brought him back, you've got your Arnim Zolas, you've got a number of other characters, your Baron Zemos, and these guys have persisted. Daredevil took about 130 issues to get a really great recurring villain. I mean, yeah, we had the original Mr. Fear story, which was quite good, but part of the reason it was so good is because it was written and structured in a way that would not work if that original Mr. Fear survived the encounter. That villain needed to die and not be a recurring villain. Whereas Daredevil didn't really get a great villain that worked well against him until Bullseye. You go back to those early issues, the first issue he fights the Fixer, which is just the personal battle. This is the guy who eventually led to his father's death. Issue number two, he fights a Spider-Man villain. They just bring in Electro. They keep bringing in villains from other titles and Namor. Yeah, and uh, I remember remember Electro's uh, brag. Uh, seriously bragging that he had almost defeated Spider-Man, and how could Daredevil expect to defeat someone who had almost defeated Spider-Man? That almost uh, hilarious. I, I, I think that Daredevil really did struggle in the villain department. It's probably the biggest, uh, biggest one he had on a recurring basis was the Owlman and Gladiator, and they they tried to get him get uh, a team of his early villains against him. The first. I believe it was the first emissaries of evil, and when you looked at the lineup, it was just like, "Wow!" Yeah, watch out for that combination of Leapfrog and Stiltman. Yeah, Stiltman, and you know that was uh, one of Daredevil's original villains, um, and uh, that does remind me, Chris, when we were talking about bad runs, Chris Claremont didn't have a run on it. But he wrote an issue where Stiltman was uh, talking about taking over the world, which is not really a Stiltman uh, type of goal. No, Stiltman was a second story man, and that's it. Yes, 
with one obvious flaw in his whole construction. Uh, the Red Skull's just a perfect counterbalance to Captain America. You know, the Red Skull's like, yeah, I'm evil, so what? And you're going to grovel at my feet. Very simple, very direct, completely the opposite of Captain America. And that, you know, that combination things that well, they, you know, they keep doing it because it just keeps on working. Those two just uh, just incredible and I, I think you know, I think it was that way from the beginning. You know, of course he had, he did have one that's not quite worth the other, the Leaper. I think it was uh, Batrock the Leaper. Yeah. Uh, that one, not necessarily as epic as the Red Skull, but still, I think when you read those Silver Age Captain America stories, Lee really, uh, Stan Lee as he was writing them, really did seem to feel this thing of, you know, I want to have Captain America saving the world as much as possible. So he would get not only the Red Skull, but he would get some uh, great non-recurring villain. Uh, Modoc was actually, uh, Captain America was the first one to face down uh, Modoc. And so just some great challenges he faces. And definitely in the Save the World category, I think uh, Captain America achieved that more often than Daredevil. He did. Uh, I've got to give him that. Captain America either directly or by leading and orchestrating the tactical end of the other heroes indirectly has saved the world far more times than Daredevil. Again, you go back to Inferno, that seems to be the most comfortable role for Daredevil in these big crossovers is crowd control. That's where we saw him lately. I believe that was the Fear Itself tie-ins as well after he after Daredevil had become one of the new Avengers. When we saw him in the next big tie-in, he was again running crowd control and doing it well. But yeah, he's no Fantastic Four. If Galactus comes to town, he's better off leading the evacuation than stepping up. That doesn't mean he won't step up. Back in that seventh issue, when Wally Wood took over the art and Daredevil was standing against Namor, he knew he didn't stand a chance against Namor, but he also knew it's him or no one, and Namor had to be stopped. And that confrontation... Physically speaking, Namor could have destroyed him on a whim, and it was that noble spirit and that courage, that just constant attitude of, no, I must stop you, that actually convinced Namor to reconsider his position on humanity, thinking, well, if they can produce a guy like Daredevil, maybe they're not all bad. Maybe I should find out more about these guys before I come to take over and destroy their society. Well, Namor's got his history going back to the 40s of either defending humanity or trying to destroy it, depending on which side of the bed he gets out on. But I thought that wasn't it impressive because uh, that's one case where Daredevil, uh, I, I think he does on that title of the man without fear because he's willing to take on these uh, long odds and ju- just throw himself throw himself into whatever challenge he faces, even if he is the underdog. Though he has confessed, I think, several times that if he could actually see what he was doing, he might not necessarily be so fearless about it. Yeah, that was a running joke during the Stan Lee era, for sure. Yeah, and I think that happened once in the late, in the late era, but, but uh, it really is determination. And I, I heard Miller say something about Daredevil that he should have been a villain, you know, based on just pure circumstances of what happened. And I think the choices he made with his life, the way he set out to honor and to live up to his father's legacy and what his father wanted from his life, I, I think is something that's very uh, noble about the character. 
Yeah, I would agree. That is something that sets him apart, because with that origin, he should have been a villain in a lot of ways. He was very much the underdog. His dad was involved in a crime. His mom walked out on him, although he didn't realize that. He was raised believing she was dead, because she was just never part of his life. Again, that's something that came out during Daredevil Born Again, which, I mean, if, if the listeners haven't read that one, I can't recommend that highly enough. I think Daredevil Born Again is probably the best superhero comic story I've ever read. My single favorite line I've ever read in any comic is the last line in the first issue of that story. It's just done remarkably well. And that's something else that sets Daredevil apart is you know, the villains he eventually got, in that case, namely the Kingpin. Now, Kingpin was another one who was originally created for Spider-Man and sort of borrowed by Daredevil originally during the Frank Miller era. But that you know lawyer by day and, and the, the Kingpin, who's by day appearing respectable, but is actually the leader of this criminal empire, they make a good balance. And one of the things about the Kingpin that's great is he doesn't want the world to know he's a villain, so he takes a different tack. You know, Green Goblin found out who Spider-Man really was and dropped his girlfriend off a bridge just to bother him. Whereas you go to Daredevil Born Again, when the Kingpin finds out that Daredevil is Matt Murdock, he uses that information slowly and carefully from a distance to tear Matt's life apart piece by piece at arm's length. It's a very different strategy and a different type of approach, which is, again, something that sets Daredevil apart. It's not just about the physical prowess, though he has it. He has been trained as a ninja. It's also about being able to outthink your opponent. He needs to be brilliant to beat the guys he's facing. I I think that... It does require quite a bit of intelligence on Daredevil's part when you're going up against someone who, in some ways, for Kingpin's almost his life and history is almost a mere image of Daredevil's with different choices. I think Captain America, too, does need to have a lot of strategic thinking and his mind and his ability to plan, to organize, to see what needs to happen and to be able to take command based on his knowledge and his experience is definitely an asset when he's in these group situations. So I, I think that I think that the thinking is a the thinking is a strength um, on Captain America's side. But it works it works in very different uh, circles. I think I think that the type of villains that Daredevil goes up against are a little more stylized in some ways in terms of their dedication to personal revenge and their goals are also not quite as lofty so they can kind of focus more on the revenge aspect yet you have the recent mark wade uh, story where one of his villains you know sat around and tried to replicate matt murdoch's accident by blinding a bunch of people and exposing them to radiation and then finding somebody they could develop and train to be a counterweight to daredevil i think that that's certainly Vengeance, uh, you know, that's preoccupation with Captain America's villains. The, the ultimate goal is a little bit more direct, and the vengeance is going to be a bit more direct if it happens. But I, I think that sort of the operatic elements of Daredevil is kind of, it's not better. I think it's just different than the way that, uh, that uh, Cap's stories work and his villains work. Yeah, I can see that. If anything, I mean, they both do need to outthink their opponents. I just find typically with Captain America, it's more tactical thinking, and it's more along the lines of things you could find in other comics as well. I mean, when you see him leading his teammates in the battlefield, there's not a huge difference between Cap and the Avengers with a lot of writers and Cyclops leading the X-Men, as written by Chris Claremont, for example. A lot of it is very much, you have a brilliant tactical mind in the center, giving the orders and working the, the nuances and winning the day. 
Whereas, you know, Daredevil, a lot of his thinking and planning isn't just battlefield tactics. Some of it is, you know, doing research as his day job, you know, which is the defense attorney. And again, that's something else about Daredevil. Even though he has a secret identity, he never stops fighting to protect the innocent and the underdog. Right? His day job and his superhero life basically do the same ultimate tasks in two different ways. At some point, well, I do think of I've, I've seen a couple weird things where he defends people who he thought is a daredevil, who he knows or has some suspicion that they really are guilty, which kind of creates, I, I guess, a little bit of a conflict, but as his secret identity is pretty much an open secret, I, I guess it would be the, uh, on the, uh, criminal for making that choice. I think the big difference with Captain America's thinking and his ability to lead is it's more than just the thinking. It goes back to the relationship and the amount of respect that people have for him uh, when they're going into battle, which I think with him it's the mix of the relationships with the with the mental, the mental processes that I think makes it uh, different. It is, and the way people respond to them. And there, I can think of a few cases where there were group, you know, activities, and Daredevil was leading, but they are they're rare. When you look at who he was basically commanding, you got you know part of the Omega effect, where he was being followed essentially by Punisher and Spider-Man. And even the way that was handled, Punisher was basically, I mean, Spider-Man was following him because he's got the respect for him and doesn't want the leadership role himself. The Punisher was following him because, again, he respects his abilities, but he was only going to follow him so far as it aligned with his own goals, just as when he was over the edge in the 90s and he teamed up with Punisher there with Nomad and I believe with the second Ghost Rider which is another Daredevil tie and a lot of people didn't realize and as you said Daredevil should have had a villain's origin Ghost Rider was originally conceived in the 70s during that Jerry Conway run I believe, to be a Daredevil villain. And if you look at Ghost Rider's origin, that is definitely a villain's origin. The idea was that the devil was going to say, no, this guy's doing good in my name, that needs to stop, and send Ghost Rider after him. It was Editorial who said, this character is way too cool to just be a guest star, he needs his own title. And the Comics Code Authority at the time said, well, if he's got his own title, he's a good guy. So that's the Daredevil story, they put in the Stuntmaster instead, and spun off Ghost Rider into his own title, which, when I learned that at Ghost Rider suddenly made a lot more sense because I had no idea why you'd have a hero with that origin. Yeah, of course that still deprived Daredevil of a good villain. Stuntmaster pretty quickly reformed. I think that it's it really is the nature of Daredevil. He is much more of a loner uh, character, um, like many of the uh, characters that were introduced uh, in Marvel, you know, particularly uh, Spider-Man. And many more of these characters relates to, you know, just being strictly alone, their own person. And I think Captain America, one reason why he, you know, fit so well into the Avengers, was he, he came from a, a different generation where people put together to face the uh, greatest evil. Of course, that led to some clashes uh, within the Avengers uh, in those early days, particularly with Hawkeye and Quicksilver, who each thought that they should be leaders of the Avengers after they'd been a villain, you know, less than a year before and been let in where everybody, you know, when everybody left the uh, team. But I think what even impressed me about that is history developed 
we we re you know, you recommended a Daredevil book. I'll throw out a Captain America book that I think listeners should read if they haven't. There's Operation Rebirth by Mark Wade. And in that Captain America was missing and one of the people who was defending him and saying, you know, Captain America's great and he will show up if he can show up and any suggestion that he's lesser than anything is complete foolishness was Quicksilver, who had given him such a hard time back in the Silver Age. Uh, so that was an incredible change in that way. Yeah, that's happened. They both had some chance to change and develop and grow. I think going back to the 60s and comparing it to what we see in the comics today and the points in between, I think Daredevil has probably seen more change than any other title character I could think of in the Marvel Universe. I mean, if you look at, there, yeah, there's your Hawkeye, your Black Widow, your Scarlet Witch, your Quicksilver, and some of these reformed villains, but their personalities and interactions are still pretty much what they always were. Whereas you go back to the original Daredevil stories, he was a whole lot like Spider-Man in those days. He was very happy-go-lucky, and the stuff that he's lived through changed who he was. Unlike some characters, you know, you take Spider-Man, you push him as hard as you can, he will bend, he won't break. Daredevil can be broken. He refuses to stay broken. He will put himself back together, stand up, and start fighting the good fight again. But he is human, which I think makes him a very interesting character, and he's got a lot of depth that you don't necessarily see in other characters. I think that there is, and I guess it it does come down to a difference of whether you're looking for somebody who is like a rock. And there are people like that who go through your life and throw things at them. Well, you know, certainly they become wise unless you're just totally out of it. But they manage to maintain and hold on to everything. Uh, consistent. Um, I think Daredevil's had a lot more ups and downs. In fact, and some pretty serious downs. In fact, the very first, I think it was the second issue of the current run, Daredevil had to evade getting arrested by Captain America for what had happened over in uh, Shadowland. So he has had uh, he's had challenges, and he's probably I think all the heroes are probably subject to reinterpretation. Certainly, that happened with, you know, everybody during the 70s, um, but Daredevil has changed, uh, has, has uh, changed and grown, and I think even the current run, there's a lot of complexity there, and you know, questions as to how much of the way he's behaved is, is the, is his act, trying to act healthy, and, you know, what's, and what is, and is there something deeper or darker uh, beneath the surface. That remains a question as people read uh, there. Yeah, definitely. That's something that Mark Waite has outwardly said is something that they're building towards. Saying this is how he's dealing with it now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good way to deal with it. And he flat out said most psychiatrists will tell you ignoring the problems for as long as possible is probably not going to make them better when you do have to face them. Right. So, I, I mean, I think he's a fascinating character, but the question, of course, is how... And to what degree uh, can he be relied upon to do the right thing? And I think so many times he has, and so many times he hasn't. So Daredevil, I think, is a character who is very relatable. Captain America, much more. And Cap has had some moments where, you know, he did some things. You know, I, I think anybody that has to have uh, comic book writers write their life will have some moment. Um, but overall, has remained a lot more 
the stable, rock-like character that people depend upon. And that, you know, was why the death of Captain America was, you know, such a big deal in the Marvel Universe, and why, despite attempts to get somebody else to take up the manner of the mantle of Captain America, it's really not going to work. It, it always just comes back to uh, Steve Rogers and the character that people rely on so much. This is true. He's been pretty consistent, I think largely because when you're writing Cap, you feel the obligation to write the man who's always striving for the American ideal. You do get some variation from writer to writer, but a lot of it is because different writers will have different ideas of what that American ideal is. Right. And there, there's an occasional writer who doesn't think a whole lot of it or thinks that um, it can be played for laughs like Mark Moore writing in the Ultimate stories. Uh, but I, I think overall, you, you have a clear idea. Even if the writers don't get it, I think the readers and the fans of Captain America, they have an idea of who this character is and who he should be, and that's a pretty consistent idea. It is. But one of the downsides to that is that when you're always expecting that ideal from him, it does mean that, you know, if you sit down and read a lot of the issues consecutively, as I've done with a lot of my comics since I collected so many on Get Corp's DVDs when they were releasing them, so I could get 50 plus years of history of the character, or 40 plus years, depending on character. When you sit down and read two or three years of some of these characters in a sitting, it starts to be sort of same old, same old by the time it's done. Whereas with Daredevil, I can't think of any point where you can read three continuous years and Daredevil ends with the same status quo he began with, which is something that a lot of other characters do have. I think that certainly there's been a variety. And even I've been, as I said, reading through the essentials, and I'm up to issue one, Six, uh, 16 in there and uh, even when Stan Lee had the book for the first four years uh, there was always some change movement, a lot of fun stuff happening and then a lot of changes with him going to the West Coast so so yeah there have been a lot of changes with Daredevil uh, and again it, it comes back to a question of uh, whether you want them constantly to be changing or if you prefer more stability I think with Captain America, particularly since he's been active in so many of the Avenger group titles, things are not always constant with him, as he's always facing new challenges, new dangers, with a few dozen or so, if it's from the Red Skull every decade or so. Yeah, yeah, by and large, that is the case. Anyway, we're about an hour into the recording. I'm not sure if it'll still be an hour by the time we go through and edit it after the fact, but I think we've given the listeners enough meat to chew on and enough that they can make up their minds. So if you're listening through iTunes or some other podcast feed, you can email in your choice of who do you think is the greater character based on the evidence we've presented here today. Would you vote for Daredevil or Captain America? And you can email that to Bureau42Podcasts at gmail.com. That's the numerals for two. Or you can go right to Bureau42.com and vote on the article that has this posted. There'll be a link to a Google Forms voting page, or you can pick there and even open up some additional discussion of your own in the comments there. And this wraps up the first week of the two weeks of the Comic Book Podcast pilot season. So join us again next week when you hear the second episodes for each of the five possible podcasts that we'll be running. And then at the end of that second week, you'll be able to vote on which of the five you'd like to hear on an ongoing basis. So before we wrap 
wrap up, I'd just like to thank Adam once again for joining us today and taking time out from all his own podcasts and writing, not just the powerhouse novels he's already mentioned, but All I Needed to Know I Learned from Columbo is also a very entertaining book, and there's a sequel to that on the way as well, I believe. Yeah, All I Needed to Know I Learned from Dragon. Right now I'm working on the second detective section in that book. And I've also got a uh, detective novel that we're hoping to get out uh, in February called Slime Incorporated. Okay. Lots of great stuff. I listen to Adam through iTunes, so you can always find and review his stuff there, just as you can find and review our stuff there. So again, Adam, thanks for joining us. I'll definitely be listening for The War on Mondays for Great Detectives of Old Time Radio, Monday through Saturday, and to the Old Time Radio Superman show on Sundays and Wednesdays. Thank you very much. Glad to be here.